Uh, but now would you pray with me, and then we'll head into our time together. Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you for the ways that you have provided. We thank you even for the breath that you've given us and the, the opportunity we have to be here together. Jesus, I pray that you would open our eyes to what you're doing. And as we read your word together, Spirit, would you empower us to love your community in your name. God, we give you these next few moments. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, one of my favorite children's books is Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. If you haven't read this book and you want a laugh, I 10 out of 10 recommend. But in this book, Alexander wakes up one morning and he forgot that he fell asleep while chewing bubblegum. And now that bubblegum is stuck in his hair. And so he gets out of bed to solve that problem, but when he gets out of bed, he trips on the skateboard that's on the ground. And then after he trips on that skateboard, he stumbles over to the bathroom and turns on the sink in order to wash his face. But when he turns on the sink, he drops his t-shirt into the sink while the water is running. Some of the parents in the room are saying, Ushish, you're describing my morning this morning. Some of the adults in the room are like, Ushish, you're describing my morning this morning. But what starts to dawn on Alexander is this is not just going to be a bad day. This is going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And the next pages in the book confirm the suspicion. Now, some of my favorites are when he goes down to the breakfast table and him and his siblings, they open up their boxes of cereal and his brother finds a nice shiny toy Corvette in his cereal box. And his other brother finds a nice shiny toy Viper in his box. But when Alexander opens his cereal box, what does he find but plain old cereal? Or when Alexander goes to the dentist and his brothers get the clean bill of health, but Alexander finds out that there are three cavities in his teeth. I mean, things get so egregious that Alexander decides, I am done with this. I am going to move to Australia. I'm done with my problems. Now, I remember the first time I read this story, I thought that the book was going to end on a high note. We're going to end and find out that all these things happened to Alexander for a reason. But when I read the end of the book, it was shocking, but also comforting in a way. The story ends with Alexander tucked in bed. His Mickey Mouse nightlight has burnt out. His favorite cat has decided to cuddle with his brother. This kid can't catch a break. And his mom just sits beside Alex's bed and says, Alexander, some days are just like this, even in Australia. Now today we're wrapping up our series called New Beginnings. And throughout the book of Acts, we've looked at how new beginnings aren't moments where the story of God starts over, but rather moments where people are invited into a new chapter that God is writing. We've all experienced new beginnings in our lives. Even as I say new beginning, does that bring up a season of life for you, a time where you stepped into a new chapter? And while these new beginnings come with a lot of excitement and anticipation, I think we just have to normalize the fact that new beginnings are also going to include some terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. Have you experienced these days in your life? Now, new beginnings assume change, and change brings loss. It can bring grief and uncertainty. 
What happens when the excitement of the life transition wears off and you're faced with questions that you don't have the answers to? Or you're walking into a season without a familiar community around you. Or you're grappling with a new purpose that has accompanied this chapter. Seasons where it feels like an uphill climb every single day. Even being a Jesus follower, a new beginning that many of us have stepped into, can involve some hard moments. As we're truly trying to live out the words and works and ways of Jesus in environments where that is countercultural. The Bible reminds us that, yes, while new beginnings are exciting, new beginnings are also going to involve some hard moments. But the Bible also reminds us that the Spirit of God is with us in those hard moments and empowers us to walk through those moments and navigate these days, these months, and sometimes the years. So as we end our series this morning, we're going to look at what happens when the new beginning involves storms and shipwrecks. And what I hope we take from this morning is that new beginnings will involve hard things. But God is with us and invites us to fix our eyes on Jesus. The new beginnings will involve hard things, but God is with us and invites us to fix our eyes on Jesus. So this morning, we're going to be working out of Acts chapter 27. So if you have a Bible or an app, you can turn there. The verses will be on the screen as well. Now, in Acts 27, the author Luke shows the Apostle Paul as a prisoner on a boat heading for Rome. But in order to understand how Paul ended up as a prisoner on a boat heading for Rome, we have to go back to the middle of Acts. In Acts chapter 9, we find this account of Paul's dramatic encounter with Jesus. It's an encounter that literally knocks Paul to his feet. And he's so transformed, so impacted by this experience with Jesus that he does a complete 180 with his life. Originally, Paul was focused on persecuting the church, but now he's focused on following Jesus. And this new beginning comes with a new mission. No longer is Paul supposed to be silencing the good news, but now Paul is going to be a witness of that good news, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles and to the ends of the earth. Paul goes from persecuting the church to now Paul is a church planter. And this new beginning involved a lot of exciting moments as the Spirit brought healing and brought freedom in the lives of the people that Paul interacted with. Paul met so many new people and even saw revival happen in cities throughout Israel and Asia. This new beginning was exciting. But if you read the book of Acts and you read through Paul's letters, you'll also discover that there were a lot of terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days that Paul had to go through. See, Paul's message put him at odds with pretty much everyone he interacted with. This radical message disrupted the status quo. And Paul was arguing that this good news that would so transform the world, this news was not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well, two ethnic groups that did not get along. And this news landed Paul in prison over and over again. And that's actually where Paul is right before chapter 27. Paul is in prison in the city of Caesarea. And after a trial that goes on for two years, includes two governors and many false accusations, Paul appeals to Caesar. Now, appealing to Caesar was the right of every Roman citizen. 
And what it involved was the Roman citizen didn't have to stand trial in these minor courts, but they could actually stand trial before Caesar. They had the right to present their case before the emperor of the world. And so Paul, as a Roman citizen, appeals to Caesar. But Paul's a little sneaky here. Remember, Paul's new beginning involves spreading the good news to not only the Jews, but the Gentiles. And where is Paul going when he appeals to Caesar? He is going to the political center of the known world. He is going to the Gentile capital. And yes, he is going to present his case, but he's also going to present the good news to the most powerful man in the world. And Paul's hope is that in presenting the good news, he would invite this powerful man into following Jesus as well. And so Paul is a prisoner, and he is put on a merchant ship, and he is heading to Rome to step into this new beginning that God has invited him into. But as we read, we will see that it is literally not smooth sailing. And so here's where we pick up Acts chapter 27, verse 13. It'll be on the screen. I believe it starts on verse 14 here. But verse 13 says, When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. And so they weighed anchor, and they sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way and were driven along. As we passed by the lee of a small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it abroad. They passed ropes under the ship itself so that it would hold together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. This is when the reader would have realized things are really drastic, because the cargo was the only reason that the ship was sailing. And the tackle would help them load cargo from that port onto their ship. So they were saying, who cares about our purpose? We are going to die. And it goes on in this account. It says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Have you ever been in a situation where it felt like you were in a storm? Driven along where hope was challenged and where you were tempted and maybe even gave up hope. Oftentimes the Bible uses this analogy of storm to talk about facing something chaotic, facing something unplanned, something dangerous. A situation where you feel like you have lost control and when hope is challenged. Have you ever been in a season where it feels like you are walking into a hurricane? Where it feels like no matter how hard you try, there's no way that you can move forward and you're even being driven where you don't want to go. That may be where you are right now. And that may be where someone you love is right now, even if you don't realize it. Now, the storms are always going to be a part of life. The Bible reminds us of that. But where is God in the midst of this storm? We go on in verse 21. 
And so it says, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should not have taken my advice to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Thank you for that really good news, Paul. I remember being on the boat in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And the boat is so, like, it's small compared to this massive body of water. And if it, someone had told me, Ashish, you're going to be fine, but the ship is going to be lost. That is not the comforting news that I need in that moment. But Paul continues, Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me. Where is God in the midst of the storm? In the midst of the hurricane winds and a ship doomed to destruction, God is right beside Paul. And Paul goes on to explain to this collection of church planters and soldiers and businessmen and sailors that the God who is present in the storm is faithful and will provide. Yes, the vessel carrying them into this new beginning would fail, but the God who had called them into that new beginning was faithful, that God would be with them in the midst of the storm and see them through the storm. Now, I had the opportunity to do my undergrad at a small Christian college. And as much as I was there to get a degree, there was an expectation unsaid and sometimes blatantly said that I would find someone to spend the rest of my life with at this college. Some people called it Ring by Spring. It went by many names. (laughs) So I met this wonderful girl. And she loved Jesus. She loved me. And as I stepped into this new beginning after I graduated, I was like, I am ready for this adulting season. I have a great community around me. I have a great girl with me. I have all my plans laid out. But it wasn't long after graduating that this girl and I had a conversation. And she informed me that she would be moving forward in our relationship, but without me. I was dumped, in other words. It was tough. (laughs) Now talk about what felt like hurricane winds. I remember feeling like I was out of control. I was hopeless. I was tossed about by the weight of unmet expectations, unfulfilled dreams, and shame. Maybe you've experienced this in an own relationship break, whether it was romantic or you saw a friendship dissolve. There's so much that goes in, so much pain that's there. But where was God? I remember one day I was journaling. And it was probably something sappy. I remember I've looked back at these journals. And they would always start out with, God, I thank you for today. And they would quickly dive into what seemed like Taylor Swift lyrics of like, I am (laughs) terrible right now. I remember during one of those journaling sessions, I closed my eyes and I got this picture from God. And normally that is not how God talks with me. God speaks to me through music. God speaks through me through scripture or through other people. 
So when this picture popped into my mind, it was an invitation for me to lean in in a way that normally I wouldn't have been used to. And I got this picture, and I, I closed my eyes, and I zoomed out. And I could see myself on my bed, huddled up, and just crying. And I felt this invitation to look up. And when I looked up, I saw two eyes. And instantly I knew, those are God's eyes. And in those eyes, they weren't blank, but in those eyes were tears. And I was remembering, oh my goodness, I don't just have a God who is with me when I rejoice, but a God who sees me in the heartache. A God who feels the pain that I feel and is weeping alongside me. But then as soon as I saw those eyes, I saw a hand reach down and take hold of my hand. And nothing was said. I wasn't drastically taken out of the storm. But I felt peace because God was present. Now looking back in hindsight, I've faced much harder things than that. And I know that I will face much harder things than that. But I will always hold on to that picture of a God who sees me and a God who is with me in the midst of the storm. Going through storms in our own lives can feel like you are watching plan A, plan B, plan LMNOP all fall apart. The vessel that was supposed to get you through the new beginning is not working out. But this passage is a reminder that just because the plan falls apart doesn't mean that God has fallen apart. And just because it feels like I've had to let go doesn't mean that God has let go of me. I love what author Danielle Strickland says, God is in the people-saving business, not the ship-saving business. God cares about you. God is with you in the storm. And we serve a God who provides in that storm. So as we read on, the ship does end up getting destroyed. But just before it does, notice what Paul does in verse 35. Now, the men have been in such constant suspense that they have not eaten for 14 days. And Paul realizes this. So it says in verse 34, Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Paul again reminds the men, Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. But then notice what Paul does. It says, After this, he took some bread and he gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. He took the bread and broke it. Does that sound familiar, like someone else in the Bible? Paul is imitating his leader, Jesus. Now, when Jesus takes bread and breaks it and gives thanks to God, that's a cue to the reader that God is about to provide in a miraculous way. Think about when Jesus takes the couple loaves and few fish and gives thanks to God and breaks it. God then provides by feeding thousands and thousands of people. Or think about when Jesus is with his disciples and he takes the bread and breaks it and said, this is my body given for you. That's right before Jesus would provide in a way that the disciples couldn't have even fathomed. Jesus would provide by giving his own life. So even here, as Paul takes the bread and breaks it, it's a cue to the reader, God is about to provide in a miraculous way. And sure enough, after this meal, the ship falls apart. And while they all get soaked, they are all safe. They all make it to the shore. Now, months later, Paul would end up on a new ship. 
and he would land in Rome finally. And the book of Acts actually ends with Paul still in prison. But even though Paul is in prison and maybe experiencing a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, he still joins the Spirit by proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, knowing that God is with him even there. And so as we look at Acts 27, what does this mean for us today? I don't like going through hard things. In fact, my driving question often is, what, what about my fun? That's a question I ask all the time. But in this world, we can expect storms and shipwrecks. This can come in the form of circumstances. It can come in the form of people. And sometimes it can be a literal storm. And so how do we navigate these storms and shipwrecks? Well, remember our big idea, new beginnings involve hard things. But God is with us and invites us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now at Mill City, we often talk about this concept of invitation challenge. You can see this graph on the screen. This is taken from one of our friends, Mike Breen, who wrote a book about discipleship. Now, basically, there are two axes that you can see on the screen. There is high invitation and low challenge. This refers to how supported you feel. And then there's low challenge to high challenge. How equipped are you, are you being pushed? Are you being grown? And pretty much every area of our, of our lives can fit into these quadrants. And so, for example, low challenge and low invitation. That means low support, and you're not actually being grown. You're not being challenged into something. That can be an environment that is boring. Maybe some of you have been in an environment that is low challenge and low invitation. I know for me, in high school, I worked at a Chuck E. Cheese competitor, and that was great, but I would say that was low challenge and low invitation. And then you have the other side. You have high invitation and low challenge. And this means you're really supported, but there's really nothing that's pushing you out of your comfort zone. And these areas are really great in the moment. But in the long haul, they are going to leave you unfulfilled because you're not growing into the person God has created you to be. Now, what Mike Breen talks about is that discipleship is formed in environments that are high invitation and high challenge. These are environments where you feel very supported and places where you feel empowered to join God in the work that God is doing. You feel stretched. You feel like you're able to grow. Yes, it might be painful, but it's worth it. And what I want to suggest this morning is that in the storms and the shipwrecks, the high invitation comes from a God who is present, a God who surrounds us, a God who won't let go. And this God who supports us, his high invitation is to fix our eyes on Jesus. But that's also a high challenge. It's tough to fix my eyes on Jesus. I want to fix my eyes on what I can control, what is in my hands, what is going to get me out of the storm now. But the author of Hebrews says, let us throw off everything that hinders and everything that entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Fixing our eyes means surrendering our life and placing our trust in Jesus. And this is what Paul does all throughout Acts 27. He doesn't ignore the storm or approach it flippantly. He's very open. Nevertheless, the ship is going to sink. This storm is going to be catastrophic. But he doesn't fix his eyes on the storm. 
And he also doesn't fix his eyes on the positive spin of the storm. As an optimist, I often try to think, what's the silver lining of this situation? And let me fix my eyes on that silver lining. But Paul doesn't fix his eyes on the silver lining. He doesn't fix his eyes on the storm. Paul fixes his eyes, places his trust in Jesus, the one who is greater than the storm, the one who is present in the storm, and the one who would provide through the storm. And notice how this response doesn't just encourage him, but it encourages everyone around him. These were people that did not believe what he believed, but they saw his faith and they were encouraged. Fixing our eyes on Jesus isn't just so that we can get through the storm, but it's so that the world can see who Jesus truly is. That they would be drawn not to a Jesus isolated on Sunday mornings or a 30-second Super Bowl ad, but a God who is tangibly present in their everyday spaces. I kind of joke about the Super Bowl ad. I'm pretty neutral on that topic. But what I'm not neutral on is that there is no PR for Jesus that is a substitute for people actually living out their faith. For people actually fixing their eyes on Jesus in the middle of the storm and letting that love fill them and actually propel them to love the people around them. That's how people are going to get to know Jesus. And so as we end our series on new beginnings, as we step into the places that God is leading us, there are two questions that this passage brings up. The first question is for us individually. Where is the Spirit challenging me to fix my eyes on Jesus? Where is the Spirit challenging me to fix my eyes on Jesus? Maybe it's a project at work. Maybe it's a family dynamic. Maybe it's some unplanned news. Maybe it's a decision you have to make. Where is the Spirit challenging you to fix your eyes on Jesus, to surrender your life and place your trust in a God who is faithful and present? Now, how could you do this? Well, for me, a practice of fixing my eyes on Jesus is actually listening to worship music. I created a playlist called Songs of Surrender that you can find on Spotify and Apple Music, and you can actually find that playlist at millcitychurch.com blog. But these are songs that, like Paul said, they remind me whose I am and who I serve. That's just a simple practice of helping me fix my eyes on Jesus. I also think of prayer. That's what Paul does in Acts 27. He prays. Now, if you're wondering, okay, well, what actually am I going to pray? A resource that could be helpful is you could pray through the Psalms. I know I've done that. A psalm that is dear to me is, by day your love surrounds me, at night your song is within me. So my simple prayer is, Lord, let your love guide me. Maybe it's using an app like Lectio 365. That's an app that many of us have used that actually leads you through five minutes of structured prayer. Prayer could be a way of leading you to this posture of surrender. I even remember hearing about some people at work, and they would put a sticky note on their light switch. And the sticky note said, fix my eyes on Jesus. And whenever they'd go into their office and flip on the light switch, they would remember, okay, I need to fix my eyes on Jesus this morning. So where is the Spirit challenging you to fix your eyes on Jesus? And second, as a community, where is the Spirit challenging us to fix our eyes on Jesus? The reason we chose this series was not because of the new beginnings we face individually, although we do face new beginnings, but because on January 15th, Our church stepped into a new beginning. 
when Elam and Mill City Church became one. And while this change has brought a lot of exciting things, and it has been so fun to be together, I know that there will be days when this change brings grief and loss that will feel right in front of our face. There will be moments of storms and shipwrecks logistically, relationally, and missionally as we try to love our community in the name of Jesus. We can't let these storms and shipwrecks catch us off guard. They will happen. And remember, when we decided to do this, we didn't do this because we thought it was fun, although it has been fun. We did this because we truly believed that God was inviting us to serve him better together than apart. But we also know that there's an enemy that doesn't want that to happen. An enemy who could care less about unity and care less about people in Northeast coming to know Jesus. And so as we go through the storms and shipwrecks, and even as we're in seasons where we aren't in the storms and the shipwrecks, how can we fix our eyes on Jesus together as a community? This could be through gathering, like we're doing right now. It could be through serving with one another. It could be through taking communion, which is a practice we'll do later this morning. How can we together fix our eyes on Jesus? The storms and the shipwrecks will come, but we serve a God who is with us and who is greater. And the one who has called us into the new beginning is the one who will see us through, not only for our good, but for our neighbor's good and for God's glory. I'm going to invite the band up. So the song the worship team is going to lead us in is based out of the hymn, It Is Well. And the lyrics say that through it all, my eyes are on you and it is well with me. It's not well because there is no storm. It's not well because of what is in my hands. It is well because Jesus is with me. Jesus, the one greater than the storm, the one who can provide, is by my side. So as the worship team leads us, would we reflect on these questions? Where is the Spirit challenging me to fix my eyes on Jesus? And where is Jesus reminding me of his presence? Now, I just have to acknowledge that singing these lyrics, through it all my eyes are on you, it is well, those are tough lyrics to sing. Especially if you're in a storm right now. And if that's you, and if you're like, these are just too tough to sing, what I want to encourage you to do is just let the worship team sing these lyrics over you. Just feel free to stand and receive these lyrics and receive these prayers. But if you're someone who can sing this song, what I'd encourage you to do is don't just sing it over yourself, but sing it over the people around you. Together, we get to bring our stories to the throne of one who hears and answers. A God who knows that there's hard things, but a God who is with us and invites us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And so together, let's reflect on God's presence as we head into this time.